Hello and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for this lesson in our series, Who I Am, where we'll be studying the book of John and where we see that John is writing these things to everyone so they might believe and that in believing they might have life. In this awesome book where John presents the Messiah Jesus as God, we'll see lots of key truths and great application that we can apply to our own life. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. All right, so is everybody at John chapter 8? We're going to read 11 verses this morning, and we're going to see Jesus. Okay, the question here on your screen says, Jesus as judge or Savior. Okay, we all know that Jesus is the judge and the Savior. However, I think that this passage of Scripture goes really well with like John 3.18, if you guys have that memorized. It says, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Okay, And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about that because this passage has, um, it shows Jesus' mercy. Okay, It shows Jesus' mercy. And I think that we can all take note from that, and we can be merciful as well. So let's read it. It says uh, in verse 1, well, the verse 53 says, and everyone went to his home. And then verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Now they were saying this to test him, so that they might have grounds to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he, left, uh, and he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. Go, from, and from now on, sin no more. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for this day you've given to us and just pray that um, as we look at your scripture that you would um, encourage or convict us as needed, God. Thank you for the book of John. Thank you for um, just all you give to us, God. You are good and mighty and holy and perfect and you are a just, a just judge and a merciful Savior as well, God. I pray that we see that. Um, We love you and we pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so uh, as I said, today we're going to be looking at Jesus as a merciful Savior, okay, which I think goes along with John's theme, right? What were some of the key words from John from like six months ago? Does anybody remember any key words or the two main key words from John? Hope? Light. Light was one of the key words, okay. What were some of the other ones? Millie? Believe. Believe. Life. Life. Whatever, Esther. Whatever. So life, believe, life. Okay, so uh, believe and life were two of the key, key ones, right? We had uh, some of those other ones in there as well. And the whole book of John was written why? So that you may 
hear and believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life? Yeah, so you might believe and have life, right? So you might believe and have life, okay? And that's a part of why in John 3, and you guys can go back and look at it if you don't have it memorized, or look at it, 3, 17 and 18, said, Jesus says he didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world, okay? Because his first coming was to save. Okay, his first coming was to say, which I think plays into why John put this into the Scripture. However, some people think that John didn't put this part of Scripture into Scripture. Okay? Which is a little interesting, so we're going to talk about it just a little bit. Okay, There's, there are some people, if you notice, I don't know if you look at your Bibles, um, starting at verse 53 of chapter 7, your, your Bible might have like a little... What are those things called? Bracket, yeah. Bracket. And it go, the bracket goes all the way to the end of verse 11 of chapter 8. Okay, The reason that that's in brackets, or in some Bibles it might be italicized or something like that, is because some people think that that part is not actually in the Bible. Okay, I disagree with them, so do most people. But they think it's not in the Bible, and here's why. They think it's not in the Bible because a few of the oldest manuscripts, remember in the very beginning when we started talking about manuscripts of the Bible, how there are many manuscripts, and the more manuscripts there are, the better proof it is that it was, and all this stuff. Well, some of the earliest manuscripts that were written of John don't have that section in them. Okay? So they take those few, and they say, okay, because those don't have it in there, we don't think that this is a part of Scripture. And then they look at the passage, and they say, also, this does not fit. It doesn't fit the flow. However, I think it fits the flow perfectly. Okay, I'm going to give you a quote in just a second. But what was happening in chapter 7? Okay, think about it. Jesus had come down okay, to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. Anybody remember anything about the Feast of Booths at all? It was an Israelite feast. They would come out, they would live in booths that they set up, I think, for three days. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So they come out, they live in booths. It's a seven-day feast. Okay, they build these little booths, and when we're thinking booths, Think of like some sort of shelter, okay? Not like a carnival booth, but some sort of like shelter that you could sleep in. They build these booths, and then they would um, sleep in these booths or whatever. And it would it was to remind them of their time in the wilderness, okay? And it was to remind them of their time in the wilderness. So Jesus came down for this feast, and remember, his brothers wanted him to come down publicly, right? And he said, "I'm not going to come down publicly. It's not my time to do that." And instead, he came down privately, and then in the middle of the feast, he got up and started teaching. And that's the end of chapter 7. And at the end of chapter 7, there were a bunch of people that had a bunch of different ideas about Jesus. Remember that? Like, some people, like, believed in him. Some people thought he was a prophet. Some people were like, no, this guy's crazy. And the religious leaders, they sent some, some of the, like, temple guards to go get him. Remember? And the temple guards came back, and they said, this guy is like nobody we've ever seen. We're not, we're not taking this guy. Okay? And then so... These leaders are trying to get him. Well, then everybody goes home or to their booth or whatever, wherever, depending on you know whether they're actually staying in booths or not. Uh, most of them should have been if they were good Jewish people. But So they go home, but Jesus doesn't go. It, this verse 1 indicates Jesus doesn't go to a booth. Okay, He obviously doesn't go home. He doesn't really have a home, but he goes up to the Mount of Olives. But then early in the morning, he comes back down to the temple and he starts uh, teaching again. Okay? And so that, this is kind of the flow that's happening. Okay? He's been here, he's teaching, he goes up to the Mount of Olives for the night, comes back down, he starts teaching again. So he's in the, te- he's in the temple teaching most likely in the court of Gentiles, okay, which is a big open area. Okay? So you can imagine 
if you're like imagining it like me, okay, I like to imagine things. You're in this big open area in the temple, okay, and Jesus would be would be teaching people. He might be sitting down, and they might be standing because that's how they did it a lot of times back then. May not have been, but he's teaching a, a big crowd, a larger crowd of people, and there's a bunch of extra people here because of this feast, okay. So it's not just people from Jerusalem. So there's all these extra people here. He's teaching, and uh, and that's what's going on basically in verse one and two, okay? Uh, so I think that flow fits, and then we'll talk about the end of the flow too, how it fits, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week, okay? But I think the flow going into this fits really well, okay? I don't think that um, these few manuscripts that don't have an in it mean anything. This is a quote by Bob Wilkin. He says, over 900 of the 925 manuscripts include this account of the woman caught in adultery. This passage is sh- surely a part of scripture in light of the external and internal evidence. The reason he puts an internal in there is because some people think because of the way you read it, it doesn't sound like it should be in Scripture, but I agree with Bob Wilkin. I think that it should be in Scripture, okay? So, the flow is, Jesus is coming, he's teaching now, okay? And then we get to this verse 3, okay? In verse 3, these teachers, they bring this lady who's caught in adultery uh, to Jesus. Now, if we want to talk about this, we want to talk about the laws of adultery in the Old Testament. Because these guys are coming to Jesus, they're bringing this lady caught in adultery to Jesus to try and trap him. But if we don't understand what the Old Testament says about adultery, it's a little bit harder to understand this whole passage. Okay, does that make sense? So, we're going to be going to a few of the most boring books in the Bible to find out what the laws and what the Bible say about adultery. Okay, it will, hopefully it will help us grasp it a little bit better. So first we're going to look at adultery in the law. This is Deuteronomy 22, uh, 22 through 24. It says, If a man is found lying with a married woman, and both of them, then both of them shall die. Okay, really, that's all you really need to uh, read of it. But let's go on. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel, which is important. You shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a girl who is a virgin, she's engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and he lies with her, she shall bring them both to the gate of that city, and they shall stone them to death. And the girl, uh, because she did not cry out, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. This is Leviticus 20.10. It says, If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Okay. Now, there's some key things in here uh, that we need to know. First off, adultery... In the Old Testament law, required death, okay, and death by stoning. But they were required to stone the adulterer, okay, which is important, okay. Why? The first thing we ask is why is this commanded, okay? Why is this commanded? There, there are a few things or a few phrases in both of these passages, mainly this one, that say it. Okay, it's that last sentence. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Okay, now let's think about in context the law. Okay, the law. There's several parts of the law, and we know that Jesus fulfilled the law and all this, but part of the law were laws to the nation of Israel itself. They're like governmental laws, right? Okay, and they're governmental laws. So like the death penalty for a murderer and things like that. Those are governmental laws for the nation of Israel. So God's giving them a law here that says 
that you must stone the adulterer. And the reason for that is because we want to purge the evil out of Israel. Okay? The reason you want to purge the evil out of Israel is because Israel is supposed to be God's chosen people, right? Yes? Okay, as God's chosen people and under the covenant that God made with them, right? How are they supposed to act? Godly, set apart, holy, according to the law, right? They were to act according to the law because people around them were supposed to see them and say, these are God's holy people, and they were supposed to see God through them, right? That was the goal. So part of the reason that the death penalty is here is they're purging all this uh, evil out, and they don't want anyone to commit these sins so they can be a holy and righteous people, okay? So this is a national law for the people of Israel, Okay, obviously we don't fall under that law right now for multiple reasons. One, because we're not the nation of Israel. Two, because Jesus fulfilled the law and all this stuff. Okay, but I do have a um, adultery in the New Testament thing, and I just wanted to bring it up because it's very similar. Uh, they're not putting them to death, but this is how Paul says you should, we should treat an adulterer within the church. Okay, again, this is not a governmental law, so it's a little different. Okay, the other one in the Old Testament Deuteronomy that's a governmental law. This is a this is a, for the church. Okay, but it says, It's actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such kind does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Okay, you should be, uh, become arrogant and have not uh, mourned instead, so that one of you who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Okay, and so basically what's going on here is there's this guy, and he's committing adultery within the church, and he's a part of the church. He's a member of the church. Uh, and Paul basically says you need to get him out of the church, remove him from the church. And actually, 2 Corinthians says that this guy repented, and the Corinthian church didn't want to let him back in. And so Paul says, no, you need to let him back in because he's repented. So it's kind of funny. In 1 Corinthians, he said, hey, you got to put him out of the church so that he repents. And then he does repent. And in 2 Corinthians, he's like, hey, let him back in the church. Um, but this is uh, this is New Testament, so obviously we're not under this same law. Uh, if they were in this passage, they would have had to stone these people, right? But they didn't. Okay, and so uh, there's this law that you have to be put to death so that they would preserve the holiness of Israel. Okay, so they're under the covenant at that point. Now, death. I'm not going to read all this. Okay, <clears throat> but this is something a uh, passage that you can write down. It's Deuteronomy 17, 1 through 7. Uh, but basically, this talks about how you were to stone. And at the very end of it, uh, if you look at the quotations at the very end, it says, The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you purge the evil from your midst. Again, it's talking about purging the evil. But death, so death was the punishment for adultery, and death in the law generally was stoning. Okay, that's generally how they did it. And whenever you stone somebody, the witnesses would stone first, and the congregation would stone second. Okay, so like if uh, Simeon was a witness to me doing something that was worth stoning, like I was disrespectful to my parents and rebellious and all this and whatever, and he's a witness, okay, and he comes to the court and he says, hey, I'm a witness that Hunter is doing this. Well, we'll see in a second. First, they're going to have to get a second witness. So let's say Scout's a second witness. So they're both witnessing against me. Okay, if, they, if they're the witnesses... They can't be witnesses and then everybody else stone me. Like, they have to throw the first stone. Okay? And for a lot of reasons, I think. But they have to be the ones that throw the first stone. Then the congregation of the community 
of that of that person, the person in sin, would stone them. Okay? All this is important, okay, when we look at this next thing, because these guys are trying to trap Jesus and they're they're all wrong, okay? A couple other passages of scripture you can write down for this one, just looking at death and law and the stoning. Deuteronomy 9, 6 through 9, and Leviticus 24, 14. Uh, again, just for time and stuff, we're not gonna go into those. But that's death, okay? And then accusation. We already talked about accusation a little bit. But if you're going to accuse somebody of sinning, okay, here's some of the laws regarding that. I'm just going to read two verses, one in the Old and one in the New Testament. Um, This is Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. So if uh, Simeon rose up and said, I have a sin that is worth stoning, and he's the only one, they can't do anything about it. There's got to be multiple witnesses. We know this from a couple weeks ago as well when we talked about it. It says, On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter should be confirmed. Okay, Jesus actually quotes this in a couple verses down in John chapter 8. You can scroll down or you can look at the screen. Uh, 8.17 says, Even in your law it has been written, a testimony of two men is true. Okay, so you've got to have two witnesses or two testimonies to condemn somebody. Okay, All these things... Um, are coming together, okay? I promise they'll hopefully add light to this this uh, passage, okay? But there's got to be two witnesses, and these witnesses, they got to be obviously above reproach, not false witnesses. There's punishment for false witnesses. And there is another thing to note, okay? You know how in today's society, okay, so whenever you get a criminal, and there's, let's say there's like a gang, okay, and you capture one of the gang members, Okay, and the gang is all committed like something. They're all like dealing drugs or something. Okay, and you get one of the like ten. What do the what does our law system try and get that guy to do? What? Okay, well confess. Let's say he's already confessed. What what what's what else does he get him trying to get him to do? Rat out the other members, right? And then what do they usually do for that person that rats out everybody? Give them a better sentence. Okay, they cut their time or whatever. There's nowhere that I can find in the Old Testament that that happens. Okay, you can't like say, hey, I'm going to rat out this person. Like, I committed adultery with this person, but I'm going to rat them out so I don't get stoned and she does. Like, it doesn't matter. They both get stoned. Okay, and I think that's important too for this, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. Okay, so I know that's a lot of boring Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But does the law of adultery kind of make sense in the Old Testament, at least on a surface level for everybody? Okay? You commit adultery, what happens? You get stoned. Uh, How many witnesses do you have to have if you're committing adultery? At least two. More than one witness. Okay? And what if the witness is a part of the crime? What happens to the witness? They get the punishment too, right? They get the punishment too. Okay? So... There's no like, oh hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna rat you out and get a little less sentence. Okay, all right. So with all that in mind, let's look at the passage. Let's look at the scheme of the Jews. Okay, look at verse three. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Okay, so she's caught. That means somebody caught her in adultery. Okay, we know that the sentence is to be stoned. Okay. There is one other plain factor in here, and we'll talk about it in a second. Okay, but she's caught in adultery. Okay, having set her in the center of the court. Okay, now I think this is important to get this scene. 
Okay, now let me see if I have it. Look at this, okay. So this is just a picture. It's, who knows if it looks exactly like this, but you can kind of, I, I brought this up just to like, so you can imagine it, because I imagine better. Okay, so there's this wide open, because they're probably in the court of the Gentiles, so it's a big, big area, and anybody can go in, men, women, uh, Jews, Gentiles, okay? And there's probably a lot of people in here, and from what is the saying, by the center, by bringing to the center, I imagine Jesus possibly in the center of the court, with maybe people all the way around him, okay? Because he's, he's teaching right now, right? And remember flocks, not flocks, of, flocks of people, okay? Flocks of people are hurting to him, okay, right now. Yeah, I'm using animal terms, but there's a, there's a lot of people that are like really interested in Jesus right now, okay? So there's a lot of people, I imagine they're all the way around him, and so I think he's in the middle, so these uh, scribes and Pharisees, probably interrupting whatever Jesus is teaching, brings this woman into the center where Jesus is at, okay? So if you can imagine it, there's probably kind of like, not a literal, but a spotlight on the, the woman and Jesus and these Pharisees and scribes that have brought this lady to him. Does that make sense? Which fits because they're, and we'll see in just a second, they're trying to catch Jesus in front of people because they want him to make a mistake in front of people because they want to have a reason um, to get rid of him. Okay, So keep going. In verse 4 it says, They said to him, Teacher, okay, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, it's commanded to us to stone this woman. What do you say? What then do you say? So they come to him and they say, Okay, this lady's caught in adultery. We have witnesses. She's caught. Okay, that means they have witnesses. She's caught in the very act. So we have, we are, they're saying that they're the witnesses. We are witnesses to this lady being caught in adultery. So the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Okay, look at verse 6. It says, They were saying this, because they were genuinely caring about the law and they really loved the law and they thought that God really wanted them to do this. Okay, so at least someone was paying attention. Okay, it says, they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. So they wanted to, what was their goal? Yeah, to find something where they could accuse him, to make him make a mistake, so they can say, look, this guy's wrong. Now, here's, here's the whole, this is the mistake that they're trying to get him to make. Because, okay, and we don't understand it completely because we're not in that culture, but understanding those laws we just talked about and then understanding this uh, helps us. Okay, number one, okay, our, remember the covenant between God and, and the people of Israel. Yes? Yes? Okay, did Israel break that covenant? Yes. What happened to Israel? They got punished. They got punished. And how did they get punished? They were they were taken by the Babylonians. They were taken over by the Babylonians. They're taken over by people. And they and they haven't been rulers for that. Now who's who's over them now? Rome, right? So now they're under Roman law as well. Okay? So because they broke the law, some of those Jewish national laws that they have are kind of at odds with the Roman law. Okay? For instance, in Roman law, they, meaning the Jews, could not kill or capitally punish any of their people. Okay, so part of the reason that they're trying to get him to say that they want, uh, they want him to say either yes or no, but if he says yes, he's going to be breaking Roman law. 
Okay? So that's a little bit different now. It changes our perspective on it because it's not like they're just saying, hey, are you going to be mean and kill her? It's like, no, we're not. We're at a point in history where it's actually illegal for him to do that. Okay? So that's one thing. Okay? Another thing <clears throat> that they want, if he says yes, people aren't going to like him anymore. Okay? I think they're more concerned about the Roman law, but people aren't going to like him anymore. But if he breaks, if you think about it, if he breaks a Roman law, like he, he's in big trouble, right? So they want to break this Roman law. Another thing, who is supposed to do the stoning of the people? Okay, the witnesses first and then the congregation, which generally would be the people of the, of the community around the center, right? Where is Jesus from? Galilee. Where is he at? Jerusalem. Should in if we're just speaking just in human terms, okay, which we are right now because they're trying to trap Jesus in a human way, should Jesus have anything to do with this stoning? No. Really, he should, no. I mean, he, at the very least, he might join in as the congregation stones, right? At the very least, but like he's not a head of Jerusalem. He's not like a judge of Jerusalem. Like he's not a witness. He's not a witness. Right? So, like, really, he shouldn't have anything to do with this. They're, they're literally just bringing this lady to trap him. Okay? And so their goal is to get him to say, yes, we need to stone him so he can break Roman law, or the people could get mad at him. Or, if he says, no, we can't stone her, then what happens? What's, what's that trap? Can anybody think of it? He's breaking law of Moses. He's breaking law of Moses as they're quoting it, which they've been breaking it all the time. <laughs> Right? They haven't stoned somebody for adultery because everybody that stones somebody for adultery is going to get, uh, get in trouble with the Romans, right? So they're not doing that in their culture right now because it's against Roman law. But they're trying to get him to do it to say, hey, look, he's breaking Roman law. Okay? Or Roman law or uh, Mosaic law. Yeah, law of Moses. So they're trying to get him to break one or the other because either way he goes, he's going to break a law. And they're trying to get him to break the law. Okay? So that's their goal. Their goal is accusation. Okay, They want to be able to accuse Jesus, but Jesus is above reproach. Okay, And his wisdom in this is, is pretty cool. So that's what we're going to look at next. Okay, The wisdom of Jesus and his answer. And lack of answer. Okay, Look at verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> it says, But when they persisted asking him... So first off, he, he, in, ver, in verse 6... He, uh, he stoops down, and he's writing with his finger, okay, the end of verse 6. Now, there's a lot of speculation, and you can go and you can study this and research what you think Jesus was writing, okay? Some people say he was writing out the sins of all those guys. Some people say he was writing all their names. Some, I mean, but it's all complete speculation, okay? All we know is that he bent down and he started writing in the dust, or in the in the dirt, dust, or in the dirt. Okay, so he's bends down, starts writing, and he's basically ignoring, ignoring them. Verse seven says, "But when they persisted asking him, so he's down there writing, and they're like, hey, hey, are you going to answer us? Are you going to answer us?' Which is weird again to me because he has he really has nothing to do with this. They're just trying to trap him. Okay, hey, are you going to answer us? What are you going to do? Okay, then he straightens up, so he stands up, and look what he says: He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw the stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he says this, and he starts writing on the ground again. 
And look what happens in verse 9. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Okay, again. Yes? So none of them went to admit that he sinned, so they walked out like they didn't have no Yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what that is. Okay, because yes, that's what it sounds like, right? Okay, um, and remember, if they go, if they're leaving, they're leaving the center of the court. Okay, because again, part of the reason people think this isn't in Scripture, because in verse 12, Jesus starts teaching the crowd again, and the Pharisees are still there, and like, I thought they left. Well, they left the center of the, the center, where they were all, right? So I think they kind of merged into the crowd, which we can talk about in a little bit. But um, So they leave the center of the court, and who's still left in the center of the court? But there's still a bunch of people around, right? The woman in Jesus, but there's still a bunch of people around. Um, and then in verse 10, he stands up again, Jesus straightens, and he says, Your woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Sounds exactly like John 3, 17 and 18. Go, and from now on, sin no more. All right, so starting back up there in verse 7, okay, he writes in the sand, they persist, and then he says, You who are without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. All right, so first off, why should they be the first ones to throw the stone? They're the witnesses. Okay, they're the witnesses. Okay, they're the witnesses. Now, he says, you without sin, or you who are not uh, without sin, you who are without sin. So we need to ask, what does that mean? Okay, it could mean you who are like completely without sin, right? You who are perfect, throw the first stone. But, and, and it could be that, but... The law doesn't require somebody to be perfect to stone, right? But you can't have a part of that actual sin and take part in the stoning. This is a quote from Constable, okay? Um, and I like it, and I think, I think I agree with him. But he says, Jesus did not mean that the accusers needed to be sinless, okay? The law did not require that. But they had to be innocent of the particular sin of the accused. Okay, and I think this could go either way. I think it, he could be saying you have to be completely without sin. But I do think it makes more sense if he's saying you have to be without sin, meaning like this particular sin. Okay, because what were these guys doing when they were bringing her forward? We've said it a hundred times. They were trying to trap Jesus. Okay, would it make sense? For them to have found someone who was willing to play along with them and work with them, okay, knowing that she wanted to get stoned, okay, to play along, play that part, and say, "Hey, we are going to trap." Or would it make sense to, for them to know about somebody already and and find out and find her and bring her? You know what I mean? And so, if they were involved in any way in plotting, already knowing about her sin, they would be a part of it or already understanding that she was going to sin, or even maybe helping cause her to sin, or maybe lying about sin, any part of that, they're involved in the plot now. Right? And so if they're involved in the plot, it could be like Constable saying that they're not in, innocent of this whole sin. And either way, they're trying to trick Jesus, which isn't innocent, right, of sin. And so I think it could go either way. I think it could be completely innocent or um, innocent of the sin itself. Okay? But either way, we know they weren't innocent Okay, because of what happens. Okay, Because he says, you're going to be the first one to throw the stone as a witness because um, you are, because um, you're the witness, right? 
So he answers them by giving them back the law of Moses. Okay, so it's, it's very wise of him, right? He says, all right, you be the first one to throw the stone. You're the witness. Okay, and then he just stoops down and starts writing again. But when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, the older ones first. So the older ones have a little bit more of a tender heart. They understand that they are not without sin, whether that's completely without sin or whether that's a, out without sin in regards to the whole circumstances and situation of trying to trap Jesus or whatever it is. They're not without sin. Okay? And so Jesus basically trapped them into admitting that they are with sin. Right? That they are sinners too. Which would be a big deal for a Pharisee. Right? Because how do Pharisees try, what do they try and look like? Like they're perfect. Like they're perfect from everything we know, right? They're very um, legalistic. And they're trying to look like they're the, they are the religious leaders, but they're trying to look like they're perfect and they're above everybody else. So now in front of this large crowd, these Pharisees and scribes have admitted that they are sinners. Okay? And they walk out one by one. Okay? Then, then he's left alone in the center of the court. Okay? He's left alone in the center of the court and he says, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she says, No, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go now and sin no more. Okay? So... Why does Jesus not condemn her? He's not a witness. Okay, humanly speaking, because he's not a witness. Right? So under the law, okay, he, he's not a, a witness. Okay, so that's why, humanly speaking, he is not uh, going to accuse her or condemn her. Okay, but does Jesus need a witness to judge people? Why? Because he's, he's God and he has two other witnesses, technically, all the time. <laughs> Right? God the Holy Spirit and God the Father. So he's always got three witnesses of any, any case, right? Because all three are everywhere at all times and see all things. And so technically, he could condemn her. Okay? Technically, he could condemn her. Okay? But he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. If he came to condemn, then everybody he met on the street would be condemned. Right? Because everybody's a sinner. And we talked about this when we went through John chapter 3. But we don't need Jesus to, we didn't need Jesus to come down here the first time to condemn us. Like we're, we're, we condemn ourselves. We're already condemned. We're condemned before he ever came down. Like he, we don't need that. We need salvation. We need mercy. We need love. We need grace. And that's why he came down. He came down to save us for the first, the first time, right? Um, and so I think here is, is a very good example of the mercy of God. The mercy of Jesus. Okay, what is mercy? Giving somebody another chance. Not giving someone what they do deserve. That's typically how I define it as well. Not giving something they. So, what did that lady deserve? Stoning. Stoning. Death. Okay, first by the witnesses, then by the congregation. That's what she deserved. But God, Jesus gave her mercy, and He gives us mercy, and He came down so that He could give mercy. Okay. He took all the sins on himself. So, I think this fits really well with all of John. I think this the flow fits so well. Because I think John's showing us an example of how Jesus didn't come to condemn people. He came to save people. And he didn't come just to save Pharisees. And he didn't come just to save Samaritans. And he didn't come just to save Jews. And he didn't come just to save Gentiles. He came to save everybody, including a woman who is 
actively committing adultery, right? He came to save everybody, okay? And when we, when we look at this, okay, if we're talking about application, okay, when we look at this, I think we need to be those who give mercy as well, okay? We need to be those who give mercy as well. And think about it. It's, mercy is not giving something that someone does deserve. There are many times when we are with people and they deserve our sarcasm or some of them deserve a slap on the face if we don't give that too often. Sometimes they, they deserve us to be rude back to them. Sometimes they deserve, at least in our mind, things, you know, well, you fill in the blank. You're better at it than me because you're your own sinful self, okay? But people, sometimes we feel like they deserve things from us, whether it's gossip, whether it's whatever. However, we should show them mercy, right? By not being rude back to them or by whatever. You fill in the blank. I don't know, okay? But we should be those who give mercy and grace to others. If Jesus is willing to give mercy to an adulteress, Okay? And not to mention all the other people and to us, right? Then we should give mercy to other people. Okay? And so I think that's the application that we can take. The, the practical, like daily application we can take is let's show mercy to those around us. Okay? Thanks for joining us for True to the Bible podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you have any questions about this lesson or any of the other True to the Bible podcasts, don't hesitate to contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope that you join us for our next lesson.